everyone. I am Farah Kimji, and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down in conversation with Kelly Emery. Kelly is an accomplished fintech founder turned social entrepreneur. In 2021, she launched Troop, a social enterprise that makes it easier for small and mid-sized businesses to practice corporate social responsibility, engage employees, and make a difference in their neighborhoods. Kelly is a trailblazer in the tech for good space, using technology to unleash generosity in communities. As a DMZ Woman of the Year award recipient, Kelly's leadership in the Canadian technology ecosystem predates Troop. In 2008, she co-founded RateSupermarket.ca, Canada's first financial service marketplace, which was acquired by Kinetics Limited in 2013. Kelly is an experienced executive and successful entrepreneur who is driven by her vision to build communities where no basic need goes unmet. I personally love what Kelly's up to with her latest venture troop, so much so that I reached out to her on LinkedIn because I knew we had to have her on the podcast to learn more about her journey, her mission, and purpose. So Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Me too. So before we dive into learning more about troop, I want to take us back. Okay. I want to learn what Kelly was like as a child. So tell me, what was your upbringing like? What were you like as a child? You know, what did you aspire to be when you grew up? Yeah. So I am the second oldest of five children. So we had a very busy household. Uh, My father uh, was an entrepreneur. So he ran a heating and air conditioning business. So he worked very hard, long hours to build the company. My mother was a, she worked at home. So she was a stay-at-home mom uh, and she raised the five of us. So what was I like as a kid growing up? I mean, I wanted more attention than what I got because there were so many of us. Exactly. And we're all two years apart as well. So we were all really um, quite young, you know, um, together growing up. Uh, So I wasn't particularly you know, athletic. I wasn't particularly accomplished in any one specific area. So when I tried to get attention, it was maybe doing like ridiculous things. Like I used to eat really crazy foods and say, Hey, you know, I can, I can eat this pickled cow's tongue or something with ketchup on it. And everyone would be like, Oh my gosh. You know? And I remember my dad, you know, having friends over and they, and he would call me over and he'd be like, watch what Kelly will eat. And, oh you know, I'll give you a quarter and you eat this crazy thing. And so, I mean, I, I did ridiculous things in order to try to get a bit of attention um, right. growing up, but, you know, I had two really fabulous parents that made sure that we were all kind of taken care of and our, our, you know, needs were met. Uh, we were a middle class family. My dad worked really, really hard in order to provide for us and to make sure that we, you know, all had what we needed to kind of get by. Wow. You know, I love that you shared that because I think it's, it's so interesting. I have one sister, so I've always wondered what it's like to have the dynamic of a bigger family and like, how do you get that attention? So I love that you shared that part of your story. Thank you. Um, so tell tell us a little bit more than as you grew up, you went through high school and then, uh, you know, led you to university. Tell us about that part of your life and and what you decided to study in school and, and to walk us through that all the way up until you, you know, launched your first company. 
Yeah, so I was always uh, a bit like as I was growing up and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, there was never a clear answer in my mind, like with probably most young people. Um, you know, what I knew that I really enjoyed was math and business. Um, and I just came to the understanding of business because I was quite young when I started working. I, I did a little bit of work in my dad's office. And then when I uh, had the opportunity to get a job at a local shopper's drug mart, I worked there. I absolutely loved working there. Um, I worked my way up to like the head cashier and, you know, just really thrived in the environment where there were any kind of customer challenges or issues. You know, I saw that as an opportunity to go in there and see, you know, could I turn this customer around? Could I get them to leave happy? Um, so I really loved uh, working at Shoppers Drug Mart. And, uh, and then later on, I, I got a job um, doing some weight as a wait as a waiter doing at a local restaurant in uh, St. Jacob's actually okay from Waterloo originally mm. um and really loved that environment as well I mean getting the opportunity to talk to so many different people so um as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and what universities I wanted to apply to the the thing that I just kept coming back to was I just really like business right mm. so I went out and I applied to a number of business schools I was accepted uh, at the local Wilfrid Laurier for their honors uh, business program there. So uh, that's where that's where I attended. Okay. I, I love that you kind of just followed your heart of, you know, the, the activities and the things that you enjoy doing, being really customer facing, I think is something that I, I see coming through in your story. And then that led you to start business. What's interesting with me is this kind of similar. I actually was more so slated on a path to go into science and, you know, just based on what the family wanted for me, science and math and, um, you know, more going that sort of doctor route. And I was like, this is not for me. And when I got a flavor, I took a business course that I took a, I got a chance to actually do an internship and, you know, and work at, a. um, an accounting firm. And I was like, okay, yeah. Like, I think sometimes that practical experience is just so important to help us to really understand, you know, what path to take. So, so tell me then, you know, that all, all of your journey, um, in high school kind of led you to, you know, working at shoppers and working at that restaurant kind of led you to say, okay, I want to go into business. Um, tell us what happened after that. You, you know, you go to Laurier for business and then, um, yeah. What, what happened after that? So one of the things that I loved about Laurier and the reason why I chose them was for their co-op program. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that throughout the educational period, I could get some real life experience. Um, When I was younger, uh, my mother showed me a picture. She ended up doing a lot of traveling when she was younger. And I remember going through her photos and seeing a picture of her in London in like the iconic, you know, phone booths. And ever since I saw that picture, I always had a desire to travel. Um, and I know that through the Laurier program, they also had a number of academic exchanges that I could uh, potentially take advantage of. So that was also one of the other reasons why I was drawn to that program. So uh, during the business program, the first uh, co-op placement that I had uh, was with Unilever. I was working on the Dove brand. This was at the time what I thought would be my absolute dream job. Yeah. You know, so marketing was really what I wanted to lean into, um, the understanding the customer and what drove a customer to purchase a product. Uh, so getting that co-op placement um, at Unilever was was just amazing. I loved it. Then the second co-op placement came around where we had to do our applications and actually had a few international co-op placement placements that they posted. Um, and one of those being London. So I thought, man, This is like the stars are aligning here. Okay. This is where I'm supposed to go, where I'm supposed to be. Um, And I I went through the process of applying for that placement and actually didn't get it. And I was incredibly disappointed. I remember going back to my, you know, to my house with my roommate and, you know, crying on her shoulder. And, you know, she just me and she said at that time, she's like, well, if you don't go there, like just find someplace else. Right. So I went back to um, my co-op coordinator's office and said, you know what, I didn't get that placement in London, um, but I still want an international placement. And she was like, well, sorry, but (laughs) we don't have any other options. Um, And it was the it was the next day that she actually called me up and she said, you know what, Kelly, there's 
I just got an email, a recent Laurier grad who uh, moved to New Zealand and is now working at Hewlett Packard has just got his boss to agree to take a Laurier co-op student. So I've got to open this up to the whole program, but this might be the opportunity. I'm like, okay, New Zealand, I'm in. <laughs> um, yeah. So I applied for that and I ended up getting that uh, job. Awesome. And that really set me on the path that really changed my whole life. Uh, so went to New Zealand, I met Calvin, who is the uh, the graduate who arranged the whole program and was working at uh, Hewlett Packard, who ultimately became my my partner, <laughs> we my life partner uh, right now. But really uh, changed your life, yeah. Really changed my life, yeah. So uh, he's actually from Burlington, but we, you know, had to meet halfway around the world. Uh, That's in New how Zealand. it happens, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So did the co-op placement in New Zealand and then I came back uh, and then ended up doing my third and final co-op placement again in New Zealand. And then after graduating, Calvin and I uh, moved to London. So that's where I kind of finally ticked that box and we got on a flight and moved to London and we spent the next uh, seven years in London. Uh, At that time, I was working for a private bank. I was doing marketing for them. I started off with uh, sponsorship and events and moved into strategic marketing. Uh, It was a private bank, it was actually the Queen's Bank. So they had ultra high net worth uh, clients and uh, they separated their clients based on sources of uh, wealth and income. And so in the strategic marketing role that I had, I was actually responsible for the entrepreneurs division and uh, supporting them with, you know, marketing materials, product offerings, really understanding that client base. And so that was also another area um, in my life where I really built the connection and um, learn more about entrepreneurship and understanding, you know, what, what that whole process looks like on top of, of course, the experience that I had with my dad running his business. Yeah. So, so tell us about that. You know, you're working there, you're obviously, um, working as an employee, you're getting a flavor of the entrepreneurial world. You obviously, obviously saw that, um, experience through your dad's example growing up with him starting his heating and cooling business. So How did you make that transition then to, you know, being an employee to saying, okay, you know what, I'm now going to go out and start my own company, your first company, which was ratesupermarket.ca. Tell us about how that came to be. Yeah. So um, that really wasn't in my, like, that wasn't in my thoughts. I I knew that I wanted to start a business, but I always thought it would be something that I would do at a later stage in my life. Mm -hmm. I always thought you got to be you know, late 40s, early 50s, you you had to have lived and gone through quite a bit and accumulated a certain amount of experience and knowledge in order to be really successful at doing that. Mm -hmm. And it was actually Calvin, you know, who really changed my mindset in terms of that. I remember having a conversation with him when we were traveling, you know, I think at this time we were on some dock in Croatia. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he was very entrepreneurial. He's always been incredibly entrepreneurial. And I I think I told him that, that, you know, well, you don't, how do you know what you're doing? And you don't have much experience. And one day I'll do this. Yeah. One day. Yeah. 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 When I, when I know more, right. When, and I remember he just looked at me and he's like, Oh, Kelly, like nobody knows anything. (laughs) We figure it out as we go. Exactly. Exactly. You don't need to know. Um, and uh, so in terms of how we got started down the path of uh, Rate Supermarket, we were making the decision about leaving London and, and returning back home to Canada. Uh, we knew that we were kind of getting to that stage in our life where we wanted to be closer to our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the question became, and, and it was very much for Calvin, I still was at the stage where I'm an employee, right? And I want to be, you know, a senior manager. I want to be a director. I was like shooting for VP of a company, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was Calvin who was very much like, well, what business am I going to build? He uh, had built numerous companies prior to that. Uh, Like, you know, he had a a vehicle etching, uh, etching security company for cars, a whole bunch of other kind of things that he was working on. But then uh, when it came to moving home, what we did was he was taking a look at what types of businesses were doing really well in the UK. The UK tended to be uh, a little bit further ahead in terms of Canada, in terms of uh, digital uh, adoption. 
-hmm. So what were those organizations that were really thriving and those business models that were doing well in the UK that we could perhaps take and bring to the Canadian market? Uh, at that time, there was a company called Rate Supermarket sorry, money supermarkets yeah. that uh, was uh, doing very well in the UK. They had, I, I think they had just done an IPO for like a billion pounds. And uh, he identified that there wasn't really any key player that was doing something similar in the Canadian market. So comparing personal finance products like mortgage rates, credit cards, bank accounts, that type of thing mm -hmm. um, to make it easier for consumers to shop for these types of products. So that was when he said, I think I'm gonna do this. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds hard, but yeah. uh, you go for it. Uh, and then um, I remember we had the conversation like, well, what should I call it? And you know, he said something like, you know, maybe it should be Sammy's discount, you know, finance, finance products or something. I'm like, no, it shouldn't be that. And uh, so I'm like, let's just call it, you know, rate supermarket. I think that it's staying not so, so far away from the money supermarket idea. Yeah. But uh, so, so we started that and that was um, probably uh, about four months before we moved home. Okay. And uh, so he was building and, and that company, that start... just getting off the ground were you still working as a full-time employee? And so this was like his full-time gig and, and your side gig, or how did that work? So he was also still working as a okay, part-time so employee at that time, side hustle. He had taken, um, uh, he had ended up going part-time at his uh, full-time role or at his role. So he was doing it on the side. I was still working full-time uh, at the bank. And so then when we had decided to finally make that move, returning back to Canada, I show up in Canada and I'm really, I'm trying to think about what do, like, what, what do I want to do next? Yeah. Right. And I naturally thought, well, maybe I could, you know, apply for some roles at local banks here. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could try to get back into the FMCG companies and, and do some of the product marketing, but all along, like none of that appealed to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and during this time, you know, I was kind of helping Calvin a bit on the side, right? And then we finally had the conversation about, well, what does it look like if I actually try to do this with you, you know, like if this is something that we can do together and build together. And, you know, we, we had to debate that back and forth for, for quite some time, right? You know, so it's one thing living with a person and having, uh, you know, a relationship with them, but then also going into business with that yeah. same person. It's a whole other thing, a whole yeah. other decision, right? So uh, we initially approached it as a, well, let's try it out and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. So I joined Rate Supermarket uh, and then it was Calvin and I for the next two years, mm -hmm. uh, just trying to get this off the ground. And uh, at that time we were living downtown Toronto, 700 square foot condo. Like I recall full weeks where we didn't even leave the condo. It was just wow. 24 seven, you know, trying to work on this and build it and um, get it to a point where we felt that we could, we were driving enough revenue in order to bring on more employees and to build the team. We did get some initial investment from the, uh, the guys that Calvin had previously worked for in the UK. Uh, so we, we had a little bit of money to kind of help us get started uh, on the project. Uh, but we also then very quickly started generating revenue as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it just became about, is this sustainable and how do we actually grow it and scale it? It was about two years in when we uh, made the decision to bring on uh, more people and to hire. We wanted a CTO time and because of that at that time we were actually outsourcing a lot of the technology to a company in India so we wanted to bring all of that in-house and then very quickly uh, we hired a CTO we hired a designer we hired a marketing uh, person and all of these people came into our 700 square foot condo right oh, wow. yeah. and yes it was it was quite quite intense but uh, things started to grow really quite fast after after bringing on more resources and getting more support. And then fast forward, we worked on that business for five years and then it was acquired by Kinetics, who at that time was uh, really big in terms of comparing the market for uh, insurance products, mainly auto and home insurance. Whereas Rate Supermarket was very much on the personal finance product mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. So they acquired rate supermarket in order to, you know, round out their portfolio across yeah. those different product lines. Like a good vertical for them to get into. But I love so much about 
that story that you shared, because I think a lot of people do have that, uh, misconception that you need to have this, like you have to have all this years of experience and maybe money saved up in the bank before you can go start a business. Right. And both of you actually decided that this could start as a side hustle. Right. And, and then grew into something that became the full-time thing. And I think that these days, especially there really isn't a lot of capital that's needed to start a business. Right. And I used to have the same, I, I remember when I was working at PwC, this is like almost 20 years ago. And I was going into all these different businesses and I wanted to start a business back then. And I just thought, same as you, I'm like, I'll do this one day when I've got a few hundred thousand in the bank and, you know, all these years of experience. And the, the truth is that I didn't have all that when I actually went out on my own. And if anything, I think that once you get to that point where you have all the the money and experience, you might not have the same energy level to want to go out and then you've built this like very stable life. But, you know, in those years where maybe your expenses aren't super high or whatever it is, you can take a little more risk. That's actually the best time to start. And that's usually when you're younger. But that being said, I've also helped a lot of people who are now in their fifties and they're like, oh, I'm done being an employee. And I want to start. So, you know, the lesson here is there's never the right time to start. The key is to just start. Like if you do have this idea, and I think sometimes seeing what people are doing in other markets, if you're like, oh, this is a really cool product. Like we don't have anything like this in Canada. That's such a great, you know, spot, uh, start of inspiration. I think mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. for a lot of businesses out there. So I, thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I always love stories where it's like, we saw this, we experienced this in another city or another, you know, vertical or something. And then we applied the concept here, um, in Canada yeah. and figured out how to make it work. So I love that. I absolutely couldn't agree more that there is no specific time that is the best time to yeah. start. Uh, just if you feel like you're ready, then just actually getting started is the challenge that you need to tackle yeah. and the step that you need to take, right? Yeah. Uh, and I do think that you can start small. You're right. There's loads of ways that technology has allowed us to be able mm -hmm. to really quickly test out ideas that we have, right? You can very easily get a website up and running. You can very easily try to you know, do a, a PPC or a social media campaign in order to try to drive traffic to that site to see if they're going to convert, if they're going to do what you want them to do um, before you take that big action of say quitting your job or yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I think today, like you said, like even a website, all these things there's now you can just plug in. I, I, I think you can actually go on to chat GPT now and you could put all of the, like, you know, kind of keywords and things that you want to be on, uh, on a landing page for a website and it'll yeah. build out a full landing page. And now there's even, um, services will, that will then not just build the word document of your landing page. It'll build the landing page because chat GPT knows all languages. It knows code. It knows, yeah. right. Like it doesn't just yeah. know Eng English. It knows every you know language, anything that's out there, it understands code and stuff too. So I was like learning about that. I'm like, that's incredible. Like imagine you put in yeah. a few words and a website just gets built for you <laughs> like Absolutely, it's yeah. ever, you know, to get yeah. something out there. So really cool what's happening in that space. But, um, I absolutely agree. Like I always tell people the key is to just start right? Like nothing happens when you're sitting in, in action. And once you're into, once you're in the mode of action, that's when you start to be able to get that feedback on your ideas. And then that's going to build you the momentum. And before you know it, the company gets built, your podcast get launched, gets launched, whatever it might be. Right. So, uh, I totally agree with that. Okay. So 2013, you've sold your, your company rate supermarket.ca to kinetics. And so did you guys stay involved in any leadership capacity or what was it sold and you were out and free to go on your own way? No, we, we stayed involved. We were very okay. much involved. Uh, and you know, there was an earnout kind of within the, sure. the structure of the deal. Uh, so we stayed a, a part of kinetics and, uh, the whole team the whole rate supermarket team joined yeah. kinetics uh, at that time though, kind of, if I can back up a year. Um, so I actually had my first child uh, in 2012. Okay. So uh, that, so then when I came back to kinetics, it was kind of at that exact same time that the whole acquisition was, mm -hmm. was happening. Yeah. So 
I went through that process of, you know, being pregnant and, and um, having Isabel while we were going through yeah. uh, the process of, of, of selling the business. Yeah, that's probably, that was probably an intense time, right? Like there's never the right timing, but you know, I, ideally not the right timing to do both at the same time, but you figured it out, obviously. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely very intense. It was, it it was not a part of my life that I actually, you know, would like to revisit. It was very, very stressful. Um, but, uh, but we, we got through it in the end. And ultimately, you know, we made a decision for the business that we felt at that time was the best decision moving forward. Uh, you know, Kinetics uh, was and still is, you know, a, a great company. And we felt that through a partnership with them, that we would be in a much better position in order to, you know, achieve, achieve our goal uh, uh, for Rate Supermarket. And that was growing it into a household name to help, you know, uh, millions and millions of Canadians to, to save money on their personal finance products. So that was our goal. And sometimes it's, it's important to see past, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the founder, this is my company to say, well, what's in the best interest of the company to be able to actually deliver on the mission, right. And that you're trying to, to do it, which can be hard because you're kind of giving your baby over almost, it feels like, but the fact that I think you guys stayed very much involved, um, probably helped that. And, and then, so let's, let's flash forward a bit. So, you know, you, how long did you guys end up staying involved with that for? So, so I think that Calvin was there for a few years after, uh, and then moved on to new opportunities. Mm-hmm. I ended up staying. So, um, I had another, my second child, uh, Charlotte, uh, came in 2014. And then I went back to kinetics, uh, after that mat leave and I uh, was chatting with the CEO about what a larger opportunity might look like at Kinetics, given the fact that we identified a, a new way to support our larger insurance clients. And that was through uh, the um, a, a new division in the company called Kinetics Digital. So I actually came back on board as the VP of Kinetics Digital, building up this new business for Kinetics. And I uh, was ultimately then, you know, a part of the leadership team when Kinetics was then acquired uh, by Ontario Teachers Pension Plan at the end of 2018. Okay. Wow. Okay. Quite the journey, right? This is the thing from one idea to, you know, not being able to predict that whole journey for the two of you that, you know, you'd build this company that would get acquired and then you'd be a part of building another product line and I, I, sometimes that's what I always remind people, like just when you start, you don't know where it's going to go. Right. But absolutely, usually beautiful things are on the other side of that action that you're taking. So, um, okay. So what was happening then, you know, you've, you've now been a part of kinetics and what was happening in your life when the idea for troop came to you? Um, you know, and, 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 you know, was there something specific that happened? Because now you're like, I've already built a company. I've sold it you know, to go and say, I want to now build another company is a big undertaking. So I'd love to know what was, you know, what came, came about during that time for you? Yeah. Well, you know, following the acquisition, um, from teachers acquiring kinetics, Mm -hmm. I, I was really given, or I saw that as my opportunity to say, okay, what is the next chapter, right? What do I want to do next in my life? I knew that I was done with personal finance products. I knew that I was done with insurance. I wanted to move out of that sector, that space. But at the same time, I I really loved digital. I love technology. I I was over the past kind of in the years, kind of in the run up to the sale of Kinetics, I was spending a lot of time researching uh, tech for good and the types of technology solutions um, that were popping up that would help to solve more important and, and meaningful problems in the world. And I thought, that's what I want to do. That's that's where I want to, I want to be a part of a solution in that space. I ended up staying on with Kinetics uh, in a consulting capacity, uh, supporting their new leadership team that joined the company for probably about another year after the exit. Uh, and it was just part-time, but I used the rest of the time in order to just do some research, right? Do into the charitable sector, right? And uh, trying to kind of learn what 
what the problems were that the sector was experiencing and going through and how I could take the skill set that I have built up over, you know, the course of my career and apply that uh, to something in that space, right? So I went in very much with my eyes open, my mind open, being like, okay, just, I just want to learn. I, I want to see what's going on. I did a lot of volunteering. I, I spent a lot of time trying to build my network in the space and was really just open to discovering what what the opportunity might be, right? And and where I felt like I was I was being called or where I felt like I was aligned with a, a certain problem that I could spend some time trying to solve. Yeah, I, I love that because I actually talk a lot about this in the programs that I run is when people are trying to search for more meaning and fulfillment in their life, I usually say, well, start with maybe a problem in the world that you want to solve, one that you're interested in, one that you think about a lot, one that you maybe have some skills and experience to actually contribute. And in in a subject or area that kind of lights you up too, like you get excited when you think about it. And when you can marry that experience that you have with a real problem that, you know, the world needs solving uh, with and something that you're excited about, and then you can figure out how to monetize, you know, that based on the intersection of all of that, that's where I feel like, you know, that piece of purpose can really lie. Right. And you, you can actually say, wow, I'm doing something that matters to me. It's purposeful. So it sounds like that, you know, and I actually teach this, but it sounds like that's what you did. You know, you were going about that process. And so through all that research and, and through that understanding of, you know, what really would drive you and fulfill you, how did you first come up with the idea of troop then? Yeah. So first of all, I would say that what you're teaching is spot on. I think that finding that intersection of what the problem is that you really want to spend time solving and then what lights you up and then trying to figure out how you can monetize that. Yeah. Um, that ultimately means that you end up waking up in the morning much more excited. You end up going sure. to bed at night you know, happy that you contributed and that you're working on something that you care about. So that's, um, that's really gold if you can kind of figure that out in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was what I was striving for, right? Like that was what I wanted to do. Um, so how did I end up with Troop? It, it's really been quite an evolution in terms of the journey. So the problem that uh, I identified in terms of, you know, the research that I was doing was that, the one big piece of information that jumped out at me that really caused me to kind of stop in my tracks was uh, a report that came out through Imagine Canada and they were forecasting uh, a 30% shortfall in charitable contributions by 2028. And a 30% shortfall in a $14 billion sector in yeah. Canada is, is huge. And I mean, I just remember reading this report and I remember just thinking like, why are alarm bells not going off for like yeah. everybody? This is a really important sector. Like it employs like 10% of Canadians. I mean, it's uh, a significant contributor to GDP. Not only that, but it also, you know, is a sector that supports our most uh, vulnerable and marginalized, you know, neighbors and community members. Like this is really important. 30% shortfall is, it's massive. So, um, so, that decline in charitable engagement uh, that was taking place uh, or that they were forecasting was was really kind of shocking to me. But at the same time, you know, I was just a very strong believer in the fact that that wasn't a reflection or that can't be a reflection of people being less generous yeah. and less compassionate, right? You know, like I really felt like people are hugely generous. They just might not always know where their generosity is needed. So that's where I started. I thought, you know what? Okay, so what if what if we could just tell people where their generosity is needed in their own backyard? Like, yeah. could we get people to act, right? Side note, funny, funny story that Calvin, um, in terms of his journey, he at this time was actually working for RBC Ventures okay. in their in their in their ventures team. And they were working on problems that homeowners had in their life mm -hmm. and how they might be able to play a part in solving homeowner problems. And they were doing a whole bunch of research around this. And one of the key challenges that kept popping up was this idea around garbage day in the city and whether or not, do you know if it's garbage day or recycling day, or are you supposed to put out the green bin or the black bin? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And this, this challenge kept popping up for them. So 
uh, him and the team that he was working with, they decided, well, you know what, why don't we come up with a solution for that? We call it garbage day. And, you know, a neighbor signs up and they get a text message and we just tell them whether or not it's recycling or garbage. Okay. okay. And they launched that product and they had a load of people sign up for this text message service. So it was that idea though, where I said, well, wait a minute, what if we could take that idea and I could say, would you just sign up for to receive a text message about a local need in your community? So I could text you on a Sunday night yeah. and tell you that there's this local need for this local charity. And then I could see if we could try to fulfill it. So that's, that's where we started, where I started, where I said, you know what, if you sign up for this service, um, I'll send you this text message. We try to fulfill these needs. And then that's how I can communicate what local needs are in the community and tell people how they can very easily contribute towards fulfilling that need. Oh my God. I love that because I think sometimes that's where the best ideas happen is where you see something working well in another industry or market. And then you're like, okay, can we not just apply this concept here? Right. And you've seen that done with like Uber, right? They were the first one. And now there's all these delivery services and all sorts of things that are happening in that, you know, uh, gig economy uh, world. Um, but I love this. And I also love, like, I could tell you kind of lit up when you were like, okay, here's this, this is 30%, you know, decrease in, in, um, charitable donations, as well as, you know, people maybe just don't understand what's needed because you're right. We all know people are inherently do want to help. Um, and I could see you lighting up and I, it reminded me of when I started my journey, I was working in corporate, but I, was really, this was back in 2018 and, and the stat that was kind of floating around in 2018 into 2019 of about how 1.9% of all venture capital dollars went to female founded businesses. Now I remember that stat and it's, it's on my website. Like it became the start of me wanting to change that me wanting to, uh, you know, really help female founders succeed and, and for more female founders to actually start businesses, which is which I interestingly found out the problem wasn't that they weren't starting businesses. They just weren't getting yeah. the funding because they were actually starting yeah. businesses at faster rates than their male counterparts. But I think sometimes, you know, when, when there is that stat or there is that thing that you're like, this is, this feels like a real problem to me. That's always a really good place to start. You know, something that you're like, mm -hmm. wow, like it keeps me up at night every, or every time I read this headline, it just like really irks me. And um, when, when someone's searching for a problem, I think sometimes that's a good place to start. So I'm glad that you shared that. And, um, I also really agree in the fact that if someone told me about needs that were in my local community and that I, I would have a sense of knowing who I'm helping, because sometimes when you're sending aid, even if it's not within Canada, but you don't really know who it's helping in Canada, like you, you have an idea but you can't picture that person, or you don't know directly if they're going to get what they need based on the dollars you're sending, right? You don't know if that's actually going to get them what they need. So I like that you are like, okay, no, people want to help. They just want to know how they're helping and who they're helping and what opportunities they, there are to, to help. And maybe if we just text them, let's see what would happen. So tell us what happened from, from that campaign of starting to text people about the opportunities to, to give? Yeah. So we had um, about 600 neighbors signed up to receive this weekly text message. Yeah. And I just started fulfilling loads of needs for local charities. Um, it was really quite shocking to me. I remember, you know, we, I did uh, built the website um, just through a WordPress WooCommerce yeah. kind of site that we got up and running. And um, I remember, you know, when I would see the donation kind of come through our Stripe account, just being a wow. little bit shocked and yeah. surprised, like this, this is actually happening. People, you know, really want to want to help in this way. And there was a number of different ways that we were trying to fulfill needs at that time. Um, you know, we would fulfill uh, needs with slightly used uh, and recycled items as well. So I would be getting in my car and I would be going to around and like picking up items and dropping them off at local charities. And again, it wasn't as if I thought that that was a scalable solution. Mm -hmm. It was more of a, I just want to learn more 
about the problems and the way that this is all working on the charity side and on the donor side and what that facilitation needs to look like in between. Um, so I was doing a lot of stuff that definitely was not scalable, but gave me the opportunity to build a relationship on both sides of that marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I said, we were really successful in terms of fulfilling needs. I did not have a business model though, right? Yeah. And I also didn't have a desire to build a charity. So I felt very strongly, you know, when I started down this path that I wanted to build a social enterprise. I wanted to build an organization uh, for profit and for purpose um, and felt that this would be the most kind of sustainable way in terms of making a larger impact. So I tried to kind of bring myself back often to be like, okay, so what am I doing here? Is it is it just about donations? And what is the value that I'm adding so that then I could take some time in order to think about how it could change into um, a viable business, right? Uh, so I reached out to, I call them my super troopers. These are the people who regularly contributed and were really kind of active in terms of fulfilling needs. And I had coffees with them. This was pre-COVID. Coffees, lunches, conversations, and really tried to understand why they were doing this. Why were they acting? Like at that time, Troop was not a charity. We were quite open. We're not a charity. We're just facilitating um, this, uh, this contribution. And, you know, they said things like, I'm loving the transparency, right? Um, I feel really connected to my local community. And I know you're not a charity, but this also isn't a a donation. This isn't a charitable donation. This is actually what people, just being a good neighbor, right? Like this is what people are just supposed to be doing, right? I'm not doing this for the tax write-off. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, right? And they were doing it because they felt that sense of community, Mm -hmm. right? And that they were a part of a community that looked after each other. And it was a few of these super troopers who said to me, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could take what I'm doing with Troop and I could bring it into my team and I could do it with my company. And so that's when I was like, oh, okay. Here's the business model. You know, so, so, well, I started to, to dive into, you know, what do corporate social responsibility programs look like? What does ESG look like? But in particular, you know, I knew that there was, you know, quite a, a trend that was taking place for large enterprise level businesses to um, to to join this this path or to get on this path. But what does it look like for small to mid sized businesses? Yeah. So I put back on, you know, my rate supermarket hat, and in this environment where you know, I'm extra aware of the fact that loads of employees and customers, you know, only want to work with and buy from organizations that have more of a purpose focus that are supporting their community, that are supporting the environment. So from a corporation perspective or company perspective, you know, what does that mean for these businesses? And certainly at that time when we were growing rate supermarket, you know, it's hard enough getting a business off the ground, right? Yeah. And, 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 and trying to figure out how you're going to grow a company. Um, you know, I'll put this extra responsibility of on, on the shoulders of the founder around how you're going to also meet that need of your employees and of your customers. Um, I thought that's an interesting problem that I also yeah. want to take on, right? Yeah. So can I leverage Troop and what I've built here in order to be able to support uh, you know, business owners of small to mid-sized companies and really help them kind of get started on their journey towards having a more positive impact in local communities, a more positive impact on, on the environment. Oh my gosh. I love everything you shared because I think you started that this is like a true MVP when, you know, you start off and you're the one fulfilling the needs to begin with. And then you, you know, you tap into the, the people who are part of the community that are also giving and saying, okay, you get their feedback. Like this is how businesses get started. And my mind should start as really understanding the problem at, at, at large before going and building the tech or before deciding what the business model can be, because you're like, I actually need to know what's going on in this space and why people really like what it is about what I'm doing. What parts of it do they like? What parts do they don't like? What, you know, what works, what doesn't. So I love that you did that and it was super grassroots, but it was with the intent of knowing I need to understand this before I go build anything. And then, you know, through that, 
because you did that, that's where your business model kind of came out of with this idea of someone saying, well, you know, I'd love to do this at my company. And then that spins the next idea and the next idea. But I also agree with you that small to medium-sized businesses, like have a lot of heart, you know, they, and they want to do good. Usually the founders of those companies that started are starting from their own real place of purpose and doing good in the world. Um, but they're, they're, um, running thin, right. They don't have the resources or time to also think about, well, how am I giving back in my community? How am I, you know, helping my employees to give back in my community? How, how do my customers feel back, feel about how I'm, you know, showing up in this world, right. Or in, in my community. So, you know, this is, you you really understood the problem. I think from a 360 way to say, this can be a win, win, win for everyone and the community. If we can get a solution that is pretty, um, when you think about it, well, we'll get more into the current business model, but is pretty simple when you think about it. Right. But it's like, I always say those simple, elegant solutions, are often the best ones. Uh, we don't need to make it complicated. So how does a small to medium-sized business, um, you know, engage with Troop now? And how how can we learn more about what, you know, the services are that you offer now? Yeah. So it, first of all, it is definitely that win-win-win situation. You know, you've got the businesses that are winning by building a program that's engaging their employees in these types of initiatives and, and even their customers. Mm-hmm. You've got the customers that then, you know, have businesses that are operating in the way that they want them to operate. And then you've got your members of the community who need, you know, more support and the charities, the local charities that are doing so, so much mm-hmm. that need more support and yeah. more funding, you know, that are getting that that extra support that they need. So yes, win, win, win. So in terms of what does Troop look like now for businesses? So we slightly kind of tweaked that program that we were running um, where we were sending out that weekly text message and trying to fulfill on a weekly basis. And we turned it into a program for businesses where when a business signs up for Troop, they commit to fulfilling a certain amount of local needs in their community every month. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the month, we send out a curated list of a few local needs to all of the employees. Employees then get the opportunity to read about the needs, the organizations that submitted these needs, and then they cast a vote for the need that they want their business to fulfill most that month. So the cause that resonates most with them. Middle of the month, the vote closes. Troop will process fulfillment for that top voted need. So we're purchasing the items, we're delivering them to the charitable organizations. We're doing all of that, um, all of that uh, facilitation with the charities. Uh, and then at the end of the month, we send out an text story, we call it. So pictures, video messages, notes of thanks, yeah. where, yeah. So employees really get the opportunity to see and feel how their business showed up for the local community. Mm-hmm. And then we start all over again the next month. Wow. I love that though. It's so simple. And I think it can be fun for the employees too, right? To be a part of this. When you say a curated list, do they maybe specify these are the kind of areas that we're most interested in. And then you're just kind of sending them those and not those like we're not, we're not interested in pets, but we're interested in supporting, uh, you know, women and shelters or whatever it might be. Is that kind of how that works? So a lot of the times I'll have conversations with business owners and they'll ask me that and I'll say, yeah, we, we can do that. I strongly advise that you don't do that though. Because you miss out on things that matter. Yeah. And and really, you know, what you should be using this troop program um, for is an opportunity to have for all of your employees to have their yeah. voices heard around what causes resonate with them. You yeah. might not think that, you know, you as an organization want to support, say, pets, but you might have a large group of employees that actually feel really passionate about, you know, animal welfare and, uh, you know, see that as a cause that they want to see you supporting. And it's really interesting being able to discover that through Troop. Yeah. I mean, it gives you insight, right? If every month people consistently are voting in a certain area, then you're like, maybe we need to do more in that area. And maybe that goes beyond just the giving. And it's like, we actually have a volunteer day or, you know, write something else. Cause it can, it's data, right? It's data for them. Exactly. That's awesome. I really like that. And I love that you've focused on small to medium-sized businesses. Cause I've worked for some larger corporations back in the day and they had very structured, um, uh, uh, like volunteer days and opportunities to give and very specific campaigns that they 
gave for and didn't give for, and it was all um, tied up in a nice little bow almost. Um, and I do think that sometimes uh, the smaller and medium-sized organizations don't end up doing as much only because they don't have the resources and the structure to do to do that. So you're bringing that to them. You're making it super easy. Um, I think it's I think it's really great what you guys are doing. Yeah. So so when I talk to businesses, they'll the the top kind of questions or challenges that they're faced in getting started mm-hmm. down this path is the last questions like, well, like what charity do we pick? Like what cause do we yeah. pick? You know. And whose job is this? Like, whose responsibility is it to actually run this program and get all of the employees involved uh, in this type of an initiative? And then, you know, how do we make it impactful? How do we make it meaningful? How do we make it, how do we do it in a consistent way so it doesn't seem like an afterthought or a one-off, right? Um, And then there's like, oh, who's going to be the one responsible for kind of like tracking, measuring, and reporting back on this, right? So, I really wanted to build a solution that would help to solve all of those challenges and more for businesses, you know, and, you know, not make it cost prohibitive in terms of getting involved. Right. Um, Because I think that what we need uh, as a society is more businesses, more organizations, you know, recognizing that, um, that they have a responsibility in this area, right. To, to support their local community, the community where, where they operate, where um, their employees reside, where they thrive. Right. Um, I absolutely yeah. agree with you. And I, I think when you say, well, look, all those questions that you guys have, we'll take care of that for you. You don't have to worry about the needs because we're already out there in the community, figuring it out for you. Right. And so your yeah. job is really just to get your employees engaged to vote. And like, that's it. Right. And that's where it can start. Right. Obviously I'm sure as you guys keep going on this journey, a lot will evolve um, from that, but tell me actually, how do you plan to continue growing this? Because you're now a couple years into this, right. Um, with troop. So what is that big vision? Where do you see troop in five years from now, 10 years from now? Yeah. So I see the troop community as being you know, a massive network of businesses and employees that are, you know, dedicated to supporting their local communities and that Troop is that facilitator in local communities, connecting charities to businesses and their employees in order to build stronger, more thriving communities. So, so much so that when a charity partner or not, not-for-profit partner Um, has a need that they can easily share that need in the community and that troop is facilitating it in such a way that there's a much higher probability that that need will get fulfilled Mm. uh, more quickly uh, by the the troop community. Yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, by continuing to streamline that process and, you know, really obviously the tech around being able to maybe submit the needs and you know, like all of that will probably yeah. with time become so streamlined. I can already envision it for you. And I'm sure you can too, that this really can, um, be, you know, in some ways, like, like the Uber for charitable giving, right? Like if you kind of think about it is that sort of gig economy, here's the opportunities and here's the, the, the people who want to support them. And we're just really managing that marketplace, so to say. Yeah. Absolutely. And today, you know, we start with uh, fulfilling tangible needs for charity partners. Uh, I very intentionally wanted to start down that path because I wanted to make sure that there was a high level of transparency through the program. But when you are a part of giving a product, you can really see and feel and understand how you're supporting the community. So it, it, it create it helps to create that kind of personal connection between the employee and the, and, and the program. But mm-hmm. certainly uh, for Troop, I believe that there's an opportunity for us to curate needs beyond just tangible goods, you know, volunteer needs, skill-based service needs, needs programming and, uh, and services. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's an opportunity for our business partners to be able to go deeper with any one organization or cause uh, in order to be able to, you know, just increase the impact that they're having yeah. in their, in their communities. Yeah. So going further down, just, you know, just the immediate needs to what are the th- other things surrounding that, that are also needed. I love that. Yeah. And I think Absolutely. once you look at it in that lens, the opportunity is endless in terms of how big this can get in from an impact perspective. 
right? I love that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, today I talk about it a lot of when we first, when I first started Truth, it was really how do we support businesses and taking them from zero to one, right? Like mm-hmm. how can we help be the on ramp towards um, growing a business that looks more like a purpose-driven organization? And then once they're on the program and once we get more data and more insight into the types of causes that resonate with their employees, uh, then it's about how do we grow um, and we take that business from, you know, one to 10 and one to a hundred, yeah. right? Yeah. I love that. And and it, it, I think it can really give a company an opportunity to feel like they're doing something in their community, that they're making that impact, that they're part of the change, that they're really giving back in, in a meaningful way, but in an engaged way. That's what I love about it. Right. Yeah. It's, it feels different than just writing a check to the, you know, I was going to, you know, to any charity and just say, here's my hundred dollars this month. This feels different than that. Mm-hmm. I think. I, and, you know, when you compare it to, you know, what businesses are maybe doing today, you know, today they maybe make a donation once a year at the end of the year. Maybe they do something around like their summer party where they're trying yeah. to get people to bring in canned goods, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that Troop is designed is from a monthly perspective or on a monthly basis, this is happening each mm-hmm. and every month. And so the consistency of it allows employees to, in you know, a very easy way, become aware of the types of needs in the organizations yeah in their local communities that are doing really great things. And I think that uh, that 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 behavior that is continuously happening, I believe, will ultimately then lead to the next stage down that path, which might be, oh, I'm really interested. I didn't know that that organization existed. I didn't know that they did this. So isn't that really cool? Like, maybe I should learn a little bit more about that. Maybe they need, yeah. you know, a little bit of help and support, like some time. Maybe I could volunteer for them. And so it starts to... Um, help employees kind of move down that path of contributing and supporting their community in more ways as well. Yeah. It just sort of gets that momentum and ball rolling in the idea and the seed planted in, you know, uh, in an employee's mind, right. Of how they can help, who needs the help, what type of help do they need? I think this is so amazing because, you know, you're clearly driven by purpose and I think you're helping companies to also say, let's, let's be about something. Let's have purpose. Let's help others. Let's be intentional. So what does it mean to you, right? That word purpose. I always like to ask this question because I think it can be a little bit of a loaded word for some people. And I'd like to know what it means for you and, and how did you land on this now being your purpose? We talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'd love to hear in your words, like, you know, what, what does purpose mean to you? And you know, why is this now your purpose? Yeah, I think that um, purpose is a very personal thing, right? And for me, it's all about alignment. And it's a very difficult thing to actually describe, right? Um, But I think internally, when we know and feel like we're more in alignment with our values, with, you know, where our interests and our excitement lies, Mm-hmm. that that there's there's that feeling of kind of peace and comfort internally and and we just get the sense of you know this is it i'm on i'm on the right path and i think that in order to be able to kind of sense that and to feel that you know you you have to take some time out you've got to dedicate some time to you mm-hmm. know um quieting yourself quieting all the noise around you and giving yourself the opportunity to really kind of reconnect internally to determine um you know if you are out of alignment, why you're out of alignment. And then if you are kind of starting down something, starting down a new path and it's feeling really good, why is it feeling really good? And just continually having that conversation. So when you say purpose, you know, I believe that uh, my my purpose is to reach the highest potential, you know, that I have. Uh, and, um, and, And certainly that operating in a way where I feel like I'm in alignment with what that potential could be, might be, um, and certainly, you know, where where I feel like I'm I'm giving back and I'm contributing in a positive way, um, all kind of falls under that umbrella of purpose for me. I I love that word alignment. I think that's I've no one's actually used that word for me, and I think it's such a good one. The word I use often is flow, like feeling yeah. in flow or in sync 
with what you're doing and knowing like, okay, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing for who I'm supposed to be doing it for, like all of that. But I think alignment kind of summarizes all of that really nicely. And I absolutely agree that people need to spend some time with it, right? It doesn't just like land on you one day you wake up and, oh, I know my purpose. It's like spending some time asking the right questions, quieting your mind, I actually have a whole workshop that I do that helps people with this. And it has some very intentional questions that get asked to help people tap into that. And I, I, I don't think, you know, we don't get taught this in school. No one talks about purpose right? Yeah. and finding your purpose. It's usually about, you know, what's going to make you money, what's going to give you a good life. But I think ultimately you'll get to a point where you're like, I want my life to be about something. I want it to mean something. I want to give back in a way that feels aligned um, and to do good work and to wake up knowing I'm making a difference. And I think purpose is at the the heart of that and feeling aligned Mm -hmm. to it is such a big part of that. So thanks. Mm -hmm. I have a new word now because I keep using this word (laughs) flow, which can mean different things for other people too. Right. So I think that's a great word. Um, all right. So as we round out the, uh, our discussion today, I'd love to ask you, you know, if you were to go back and start your entrepreneurial journey again, you know, is there anything that you would do differently? Or do you think everything happened exactly as it's supposed to happen. I I wouldn't change anything. You know, I'm really happy with where I am today. And I think that, you know, all of the ups and downs, everything that I didn't know at one point in my journey that I wish I would have known, I didn't know it for a reason. All of the different lessons that I learned, I learned them at the the right time when I was supposed to learn them. I'm just a strong believer in that. Um, Everything that I don't know right now will come to me at the time when I'm supposed to know it. Uh, So would I change anything? No. Uh, if I could go back and tell myself something and give myself a little bit more advice, um, maybe that would look like just, you know, be a little bit more confident, you know, have more confidence in yourself and understand that on this journey, you don't need to have all of the answers on day one. And that um, it's more about the process that you go through to help discover the answers than actually having all the answers all at once. So. I love that. Okay. Confidence. I totally agree with you. And it's, it's confidence and belief in self, I think too. Right. Um, I've, I've had to really work on that one. Some days are easier than others. And I'm like, no, you just got to really double down, believe in yourself, bet on yourself, you know? And I think, and it's not easy. Um, but I think building that confidence in your ideas, in your dreams, in what you're trying to do in yourself is, is so, so important to, you know, any, any entrepreneurial endeavor. Absolutely. Um, and I know that we didn't really get a chance to kind of touch on it, uh, but certainly the quote or the, the, the stat that jumped out at you around females getting funded, uh, that wasn't something that I came across or impacted me until I started raising funding for true. Yes. And that, yeah. that's a whole other kind of, you know, yeah. maybe story. We can have a conversation about that at another time. Um, But I believe that particularly during that process, that's a stage where female founders can really start to doubt themselves and where that self-confidence is really important in terms of going into those meetings, regardless of the number of no's that you get or how challenging some of those conversations can be. Yeah. And that's often where the imposter syndrome starts to creep up too. And I, I have a good reframe that I like to tell people. I'm like, you know, if you feel like you don't belong in that room, or maybe it's the room that needs to change, right? Like maybe you're fine. It's just that room needs to change. And maybe if you're going down a a course, uh, a a path that you feel like, okay, no one, I have like, no one like me has done this before. I'm the only one. Then maybe you're actually the trailblazer. You're the one blazing the trail for others to follow. And I think that, you know, that reframe helps because often we give ourselves this diagnosis of a syndrome when there's really nothing wrong, right? You're just trying something new that you haven't done before and it's challenging. Um, and you're going to have feelings of doubt, but it doesn't make you an, a, an imposter. Like that's such a strong word. And then syndrome is such a strong word. And I think I'm, I'm all about like debunking that now. And just like, let's stop giving ourselves this diagnosis. Um, and yeah, I'd love to, you know, at, a, at another time, learn more about your funding journey, because that is one that I'm like, 
I want to know what it's like in the trenches, right? And what your experience was like. So we'll we'll chat about that some other time. But yeah. I've absolutely loved our conversation today. I love what you're doing with Troop. You know, keep doing it. I'm sure we'll have you back in a couple more years, and you know, we can learn what you're up to then, and and what Troop is doing, and and, and the big things that it's doing within the community. So thank you for you know the the purpose that you have and the work that you you do. It's very much needed. Um, so. Before we cap off here, I'd like to, uh, you know, just let the listeners know how more about how they can engage with you uh, personally, as well as with your company. So if you can just share uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you, and we'll be sure to add that to the show notes. Yeah. So, and thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed our chat. Uh, if you want to learn more about Troop, the website is HighTroop.com dot com so that's h-i-t-r-o-o-p.com for me personally uh really i'm the most active on uh, linkedin so you can uh check me out there yeah and i've seen all of the amazing things that you're up to i mean that's how i found you on linkedin so definitely go give kelly a follow there and again thank you so much for coming on the podcast we'll chat again soon thank you it's been great thanks a lot Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams, find your calling, and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I will see you next week.